I grew up churched. Uh, what I mean by that is that if the doors of the church were open, we were there. Uh, I don't have a very drastic conversion story. Sometimes I hear people's stories. They're living like a life of crime, and then they got saved at the altar radically, and then they're on fire for Jesus. And, and a small part of me thinks like, man, my story's lame. I wish I had been in a gang. <laughs> I was probably about five years old. I was bugging my mom in the kitchen, and she told me, why don't you go in the other room and ask Jesus into your heart? <laughs> and I, right? And I told her, I already did that. And she said, go and do it again. So I guess she didn't think that it stuck. Um, so I went, I remember uh, clearly at five years old, spinning around on this gray, itchy rocking chair, and I think I said the words, hey, Jesus, if you want to come in my heart, that would be cool. That's how I remember my big uh, conversion story. So I grew up churched, Sunday mornings with the fam, and then Sunday evenings I went to the Finnish church with my grandmother. My mother's side comes from Finland. They had two services. The first one was in Finnish, and the second one was in English. So really, I was in like three services a day plus Sunday school, so like props to me. But uh, for the Finnish service, I got to wear this headset and listen to the translation from the lady in the small dark window at the back of the room, and I kind of felt like a spy. A funny or not so funny story about the Finnish church is that there was two main ones. There was ours, which to be honest, I don't even remember the name, and the other one that was called Gotigirjo. Gotigirjo. Uh, and uh, so they called it the KK for short. So when I was in school and I began to learn about the KKK, I got very confused because the values of the two parties didn't exactly line up, but it all got cleared up very uh, quickly. <laughs> I loved all of the kids' programs when I was going, growing up. They certainly were not as high-tech as what I saw was happening here this last week. I think if, I don't know, maybe I just would have liked to be a kid when, when Carly and Jacob were around. Um, but I loved all the programs, especially at the Finnish church. They did such a good job. These skits and crazy games and hockey tournaments and all sorts of stuff. Uh, and their flannel graph stories were the best. I tried mentioning flannel graph stories in a high school chapel recently, and I got very blank stares. And I thought, y'all obviously didn't grow up in the 90s Sunday school system like I did. And you can't forget about VeggieTales. I grew up on VeggieTales, right? Where's my people at? Praxis doesn't like VeggieTales. <clears throat> he says that it's because the veggies don't have hands, so it's not realistic. <clears throat> He just didn't grow up with gold like that. He grew up with some strange uh, cowboy in Las Aventuras del Vaquero Vaquez, which on the other side of life does sound much cooler than talking vegetables. Uh, I grew up loving vacation Bible school and camp as a kid, summer camp. I think I got saved there every year. Maybe they weren't sure that it stuck either. I would make these countdown calendars. That's how you knew something was really exciting or really important to a kid if it was paper chain status. Anybody make paper chains when they're counting down to like going on a trip, going to camp, waiting for Christmas? And uh, I would start packing for kids camp like a month in advance. And I really wish that that enthusiasm for packing had followed its way into my adult years because now when it comes to packing for four people to go away, I just think it would be so much easier for three of those four to stay home. <laughs> Sorry. But alas, I just, I grew up church. 
Uh, there was a short time in my early teens where I didn't walk away from the Lord, but my heart grew cold to him. We came to Bible Fellowship the summer of my grade eight year, back when it was called Bible Fellowship, and some kids here were, were friendly enough to invite this little punk kid to youth camp. You wouldn't believe it, but I had spike collars and leather bracelets and all sorts of things, but that is a different story. That is not what we're talking about today. <laughs> but I went uh, rather reluctantly to youth camp, and Jesus got a hold of my life. That was a turning point in my life. I'm so thankful for this church. I grew up in church, like I grew up churched, but at camp, I moved from my parents' faith to my faith. My faith became real to me, and then I became the church, right? And uh, <clears throat> I'm here because of camp. Like, send your kids to camp. We're going to talk about it again at the end of the service. Send your kids to camp, and if you don't have kids that are the age to go to camp, send somebody else's kids to camp. I cannot stress how important it is enough. I'm here because of camp. I'm here because of the youth ministry of this house. I'm here because of pastors and volunteers who took a chance on a kid who did not look like she wanted to be there, and yet Holy Spirit got a hold of my life. There's no junior Holy Spirit. I was listening this morning to the testimonies about, about the kids' week that just happened, and they were talking about how the kids at kids camp were getting filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. Come on, that's worth celebrating. <clears throat> so when our faith becomes real to us, it's an amazing thing. Psalm 34, 8 says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, taste. It's, it's, it's something personal. It's something when you encounter it for yourself, you can't deny what you've experienced. Jesus became my Jesus at camp, and he began to bring hope and life and vision into me that wasn't there before. I didn't change overnight, but throughout my high school years, the Lord really drew me close to him, and there was just a beautiful closeness and friendship that I had with the Holy Spirit in those years. What I didn't know when I went to camp that year is that I would be in that youth ministry for the next 12 years of my life. I didn't fail anything in high school, in case you were wondering. I attended youth in high school. I became a student leader in high school. And then when I graduated, I stayed on as a youth leader. I actually tried to do other things. Uh, when I was 19, I got invited to intern with the power team doing video, because obviously these biceps are not breaking bricks anytime soon. But you will be surprised how strong you get carrying two 30-something pound toddlers around more often than you would like to be carrying them. But I felt the Lord tell me to stay here. I dreamt of going to Hillsong, to their leadership college in Australia. For those of you who are geographically challenged, that's the furthest place from here. That's where I was, that's where I was trying to go. That's what I was, that's what I was aiming for. Uh, but the Lord directed me to take a discipleship school that we were running here on campus at the time. And it was around that time that I really fell in love with missions. I had some exposure to missions during my high school with Regent Christian Academy, going to Mexico, uh, building houses. Um, but there's this one trip that I went on, actually went on two trips to Fiji. Uh, the second time I went on, and I stayed on my own for a month in the South Pacific, visiting different Foursquare churches. I was running youth meetings, um, speaking in house, house meetings and churches, training youth leaders. And I turned 21 when I was there. And it was the coolest moment because I was out like fishing on the South Pacific Ocean, catching these beautiful fish, colorful fish that were later going to become dinner. That's where I turned 21. My parents called, they called on the right day, which is cool because of the time zone difference. I was really planning on claiming like two birthdays because, right, because I'm from here, but I was there, so I should get to celebrate for two days. Anyways, I didn't because that would be rude, but, uh, <laughs> um, but I was in this one area and, and I was training the youth. We had a youth camp 
It was like a last minute, spur of the moment kind of youth camp. That's how missions is. It's like, hey, let's do a youth camp. So we did. Anyway, so we were training the kids, and then there was an area that they were wanting to plant a church. So one day, I was training the kids, like, here's how you pray for somebody when you go into their house. Because I do that all the time. And so, so like, here's how you lay hands on it. Here's how you pray. And then we went to this area where they're wanting to plant a church, and the youth were going into people's houses, just like knocking on doors, going to houses, praying for people, and inviting them to the house meeting that was happening that week. So then so many of those people showed up at the house meeting that the week after, they actually planted a church. Like... I want to be part of that. Like, I want to be doing that. And I remember one night, I was drinking chai on the porch of a pastor that had come to care for very deeply. And uh, he began to share with me just his love for his, his country. His moon, by the moonlight, he pulls out this map of Fiji and lays it on the table before me. And he says, you know, I'd like to plant churches here. I think we should have a church here. And one way over here, this map of scattered islands on the table. And, uh, and he spoke with me about church planting in Fiji. He's like, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And he looks like right into my soul. Like, you know, one of those moments you're like, and, and I, I began to dream down that path. Um, but I was supposed to come back and, and take over the junior high ministry. I knew it was what God had asked me to do. It wasn't time for that. This is why I said to leave the cap off. Um, I was supposed to come back, take over the junior high ministry. I knew it wasn't time for that. Um, but, but my heart longed for it. I actually cried when I left Fiji because there was something in me like, I want to be part of this. But I came back, I took over the junior high ministry. When I was 22, uh, I became a licensed pastor with the Foursquare Gospel Church of Canada. And at that time, I was the youngest uh, pastor, licensed pastor in Foursquare. I don't know what it is now, but at that time it was. And I was the only pastor on staff here that did not have a white beard. It was around that time that we merged the junior high and the senior high together. I oversaw that for a number of years. And uh, then I oversaw some things for RCA in their chapels and missions department, uh, things like that. And I, I loved it. I lived, ate, breathed youth ministry. It's all that I did. The only friends that I had were the ones who loved me enough to come and help me with what I was doing because there was so much to do. And then a few years later, uh, the time came to step away from it. I stepped down from youth ministry about five years ago, not realizing that more of my identity and more of my self-worth were wrapped up in me doing ministry than I really knew. I stepped down for a number of reasons. First of all, I believe that the Lord asked me to. And I think that's really enough for any big decision in your life. Um, But there was some health things, some burnout things, some new season things. I just got married that summer. Some dreaming things. (laughs) We were intending to step into full-time missions overseas in the next year, but mainly it was an obedience thing. So we were pursuing missions, my dream. And, uh, you know, we were taking a a step of faith like we're supposed to. And I spent all of my savings on the wedding. And then for our wedding, many of you actually were very generous. We got a good sum for our wedding. Good job. Uh, But we spent it all to go on this scouting trip to Costa Rica to see if that's somewhere that we could stay and serve. So Praxis quit his job so that we could go. I had already quit my job. But we were pursuing the dream. We were stepping out in faith like we're supposed to. And uh, it wasn't looking anything like what I thought it would. There was a ton of disappointments from many different fronts. And I'd probably been on 
two dozen or so missions trips uh, at that point. You kind of stop counting after that because I think it's kind of rude. Uh, but something happened that had never happened to me before. They call it culture shock. Like I hit a cultural wall, a breaking point. I was the only non-Spanish speaker. Uh, and though I can get by when you're the only one who doesn't speak the language, you feel really left out a lot of the time. And uh, we were tag-alongs on another church's team. It wasn't a, a team from here. It was from somewhere else in the Lower Mainland. And they didn't know, like, who I was. And that was very important to me at the time. <laughs> like, they didn't, like, I had led tons of mission trips before that. I had done the things. And we were just kind of these, these tag-alongs uh, on, this, on this team. And we were, we were only married for six months at that point. And now we're living in tents beside other people. Like, so that was its own level of awkward or just definitely not awkward is how that more went. Uh, but we were traveling around the country uh, doing outreach with their, their missions program. And uh, it just, one day, all of the things that I was feeling, all of the cultural things, all the disappointment things just started to come out of my eyes. And there was a moment in Costa Rica, so ingrained in my memory. Anybody else would have just brushed by it. But it was, one time we were, we were having a meal and everybody was, you know, sitting down in chairs and somebody asked, oh, who's sitting there? And they said, Praxis's wife. And I realized at that moment something big. All of who I was was gone. My vocational identity and my, my personal identity. You see, I was Jen Kelly. Like, that was my name. It came together. It was a package deal. Friends would call my parents' house the landline when landlines were a thing, and they would ask at my parents' house for Jen Kelly. That's who I was. So we came back from this trip, we resettled into married life, and as we prayed and sought counsel, we felt that it wasn't the right time or the right place to be in Costa Rica in that season. So I had to lay that one down too. So we came back to no jobs, no money, no titles, a new name, a different uh, new season of marriage that had its own difficulties to walk through in the first year. And the thing that I had dreamt of for years and was finally stepping out into, the doors didn't close. The invitation was very open. We had secured an apartment in Costa Rica. I had found my Spanish school I was going to go to. Um, we attended Foursquare Ministry missionary training in Los Angeles. And uh, the doors didn't close, but God asked us not to step into it. But we were supposed to step into missions. That was my dream and my saving grace of a thing to tell people when they ask, what are you doing now? Because when you're a doer and you're not doing and you have to explain it, it feels like defeat. And I began this journey of surrender, a journey of trust in the mix of disappointment and discouragement. You see, I hadn't realized how important all of the label things were until I no longer had them to hide behind. And I think most of all, it was a journey of learning that my identity flows not from what I do, but from who I belong to. See, my performance or my position doesn't dictate my identity. We're walking through a beautiful season of learning to be just daughter. And I don't know where you're at today, we can, but we can often place our sense of identity in things that have nothing to do with who God says that we are. For me, it was ministry, but it can be all sorts of things. Maybe you tie your identity as parents to how well or not well your kids are doing. Or maybe as one parent celebrates their kids' accomplishments on Instagram, you think, gee, my kid's not measuring up. And I'm not measuring up as a parent in return. Um, maybe your identity is tied to your work. And if you get the promotion, everything is great. But if you don't, that's another story. 
Maybe, you're, maybe it's hard not to feel identified as the single one if you're not married in the timeline that society tells us that we're supposed to be married in. And you think if my title would change, then I would be who I'm supposed to be. Maybe you're holding the title, uh, trying to hold the title of provider for your family uh, based on home ownership in the current housing situation. Maybe there's an expectation from your family about a specific degree, and if you don't get it, you don't know if they'll ever accept you. Maybe you think uh, if the number on the scale said something different, something lower, then you'd be who you're supposed to be. We can hold up labels of our position at work or at home thinking that these things define us. The title of mom or dad or wife or pastor, doctor, teacher, graduate, the worship leader, the one with the degree, the missionary, the yes man. Things we like to be defined as, as the funny one, the smart one, the one who's always willing to help, the dependable one you can always count on, the hospitable one, the capable one, the creative one. We live in a society that celebrates these titles and almost celebrates the busyness that comes along from holding them. We can live these lives that are mastered by our schedules as we try to do all the things. And I think it's important to stop and to ask ourselves, why are we doing what we're doing? What's driving us to perform? And these things that we do, of course, in and of themselves are not bad, but they're not where we start to find out who we are. And it reminds me of this profound moment in the Gospels in Mark chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. And it says, It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And then a voice came from heaven that said, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You see, up until this point, Jesus hadn't done anything yet. He hadn't done any miracles. There was no great teachings on the side of mountains. He hadn't raised the dead. He hadn't given sight. Nobody knew who he was or what he was capable of. And yet the Father was pleased with him simply for his sonship. He said, I love you because you're mine. I think I understand this a little bit more now because I'm a mom. I've got two kids, Kelly and Raina. They're twins. They're just over two. And so people, people would ask, like, how many kids are you guys going to have? You know, as soon as you get married, like, that's the next question. Like, when are you getting married? How many kids are you going to have? And I would always say, like, a sucker, one at a time. <laughs> but we had twins, so we, we entered parenting by what I call baptism by fire. But we're in the coolest stage right now as they, they learn and they discover um, and they, they say things, they laugh and they mimic us and they've got their own little twin language and they've got some English and they've got some Spanish and they give so many hugs and so many kisses and we celebrate when they learn something new. Um, it's so fun and uh, we yell bravo, that's what we do, we yell bravo uh, when they learn something new and so... Right now, we're in the middle of trying to potty train two at a time, so pray for us. <laughs> and when they use the potty, it is a big deal. We make it a big deal. Like, like over-the-top excitement, we're jumping up and down. They finish their business, they do like a little dance, this little wiggle, it's really cute. And we're like, we pretend like they just won a medal. This is a big deal. It's silly, but most days I'm outnumbered by two-year-olds, so if you can't beat them, you join them, and that's how you're gonna get through. But can you imagine if I base my approval of them on how well they performed. 
Can you imagine if I kept a checklist waiting for her to accomplish certain tasks and withholding my love until those said tasks were accomplished? Can you imagine if I picked up my baby girl and told her, now mommy loves you because you did what I wanted you to? Absolutely not, of course not. Like, I'm excited, and I hope they catch on quick, because I don't know if you know the current diaper prices, but just, like, it, double diapers is expensive, and I'm about done. <laughs> I'm about done with that season. But nothing they can ever do or not do would make me love them anymore. They cannot earn my love. I love them because they're mine, and I made them, and they grew here and I have the stretch marks to prove it, and they look like me but with a better tan, and I love them so much, and I think they're so cute that I made two of them, okay? I love them because they're mine. They're mine. And God feels the same way about us. Yeah. He is pleased with you before you ever do a thing. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that refreshing? Doesn't that take like a million pounds off of your shoulders? Ephesians says this in chapter 1. There you go. For it was always in his perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children through our union with Jesus, the anointed one, so that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace. For the same love, everybody say same love, he has for his beloved one, Jesus, he has for us. Wow. And this unfolding plan brings him great pleasure. The same love he has for Jesus, he has for us. And this brings him great pleasure. Like, he loves to love us. And, like, I know. Like, I get it. Like, I saw the flannel graphs. Like, Jesus loves me. This I know. But how many times can we know something up here and somehow it doesn't make that 18-inch journey down from our head to our heart? Even though we know these things, sometimes, I don't know if you do this, but I've done this where I put the cart before the horse where I'm doing things for him, thinking that, that if I do these things, then he'll be pleased with me. If we, we do to find acceptance, to find approval, we do to feel like we're good enough. If we would just serve enough, if we would read enough, if we would pray enough, if we would do enough, if I had this label, this position, this capacity, this influence, then he will love me. Maybe you won't say it, maybe you won't even realize you're doing it, but I found myself tired and exhausted of trying to prove myself. Not to anyone specific. Leadership here has always been so encouraging and so supportive, but it was hard not to strive in my own heart to prove to myself that I was capable in my own strength to do all the things, to spin all the plates, that I could do it, that I was strong, that I was independent. Do you know what independent people are? They're lonely. It can become so easy or so normal to carry weightiness and pressure right here on our own shoulders, trying to do all the things in our own strength. We're not called to do things so that we can be his. We're called to be his, and from that place of just being his, everything else will come. Rick Warren says we're human beings, not human doings. My identity flows not from what I do, but from who I belong to. There's a familiar verse in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 30, and I, I read it in the Passion, and I just felt like it shed such beautiful light on this. 
It says, are you weary carrying a heavy burden? Then come to me and I will refresh your life for I am your oasis. Simply join your life with mine. Learn my ways and you'll discover that I am gentle, humble, easy to please. You will find refreshment and rest in me for all that I will require of you will be pleasant and easy to bear. And I'm not sure that I grew up with this picture of Jesus. I think I always thought that he was hard to to please. I think I always thought he was asking for more from me, expecting me to push harder, to be better. I'm used to running, like go hard or go home is kind of my motto. But this picture of Jesus as an oasis, as a place of rest, this is all new to me. In this scripture, it sounds too easy. It says, simply join your life with mine. Find refreshment in me. These words, they hit me like, like a breath of fresh air. There's such beauty in them, and it sounds like an invitation. It sounds like surrender. It sounds like letting go. Letting go of, of titles, of, of pushing harder, of, of controlling all the things. And surrender sometimes is hard. For the twins' first birthday, we took them to Mexico uh, to meet the extended family. Yes, their first birthday on an airplane. (laughs) So the journey home from Puebla consisted of a taxi ride, followed by a bus ride, followed by a flight that was delayed, of course, uh, followed by a car ride uh, home. And they, 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 they didn't nap. They wouldn't nap. They would not. So when we boarded the plane, we were not just those people with a baby. We were all of that times two. I blocked out like most of it from my memory. Like the first hour was tolerable, but it was all downhill from there. Just picture lots of screaming, lots of tears. Some of them might have been mine. Uh, an utterly exhausted mother and father, and lots of annoyed, nay, even angry stares from fellow passengers. Uh, the babies were so tired. They were fighting sleep, and everything in them was overextended and exhausted. And I remember looking over at Praxis's face when little Reina finally fell asleep. After hours of struggle, she settled into rest. He had been holding her in what was the most uncomfortable day of her little life, speaking to her, rocking her, singing over her in the midst of her torment, and finally she allowed his strength and peace to comfort her. He was her safe place, and she could just let go. And I see myself a lot in little Reina on the plane. I wrestle better than I rest. Where there's a call to war, I'm the first to pick up a sword. Like, I will pray, and I will fight, and I will prophesy, and I'll declare promises over that thing. But do you know what? There are times for that, absolutely. But not every time is time for that. For me, it's always been easier to fight than it is to surrender. What if we could learn to let go before exhaustion takes us? That's what he's talking about when he says, join your life with mine, or maybe the more familiar to you is, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, to rest in the arms of the one who is love. I wonder sometimes what it means that he carried our cross, that he took all of our shame, that he took all of our burdens. Could it be that we're actually meant to live unburdened? What if we actually cast our cares on him because he cares for us? He already took the weight of everything we so often try to take on ourselves, the weight of our finances, the weight of our relationships, the weight of our families, the weight of our housing situations, the weight of our prayer requests, the weight of the promise that you've been believing for. We have these areas in our lives where we fight and we struggle and we cry and we pray and I get it. Fighting is my first response. War is my go-to, but now when I begin to war, Sometimes I see that look on my husband's face as little Raina finally gave up 
and fell asleep. Like she was fighting with everything that she had, but her father had her. The whole time he had her. Everything she could have needed at that moment, he had her. There was nothing overlooked. Her problems seeming so big to her uh, were so small to the one who was holding her, and he was holding her with such sincere tenderness and affection. She was safe, and she was cared for, and he had her in his arms, and she would safely get exactly where she needed to be. And the journey could have been so much more enjoyable for all of those involved if she had learned to just let go. You see, surrender in our lives is not just an art or a concept. It's not a principle to live by or a nice thing to write on our walls. Our soul cries out from carrying the weight of what it wasn't meant to. We're burdened and we're tired and we're fighting when we're called to be free, to be resting and to be trusting. And often our lack of rest is rooted in a lack of trust. Will he really do what he says he will do? Will he really help me arrive where I need to arrive? Does he really hold me in his arms? Does he really care about all that concerns me? Are all the hairs on my head really accounted for? And the answers come back a resounding yes, and he will, and he is, and he does, and they're all accounted for, baby. He wants us to trust in that and to rest in that, to actually rest. He says, are you weary Tired of carrying a heavy load, come to me and I will give you rest. Perhaps it's an area that you're holding on to, even a promise God has made that you've been fighting for, a financial situation, a a relationship, a family member, life crisis that you've been carrying the weight of it on your shoulders. Friends, I implore you to ask Jesus to help you to surrender. It's not our natural response, so we actually need to be intentional about it. Sometimes when I realize that I'm carrying something that I should not be, I actually close my eyes and I picture myself at the foot of the cross, at the place of his sacrifice. And I actually picture myself laying down that thing at the feet of Jesus. I choose to surrender to the one who will always, always, always hold me tenderly and always get me safely where I need to be. Maybe this is the first time you're in church. Maybe you didn't know that Jesus wants to carry your burdens for you. Maybe you didn't know that you don't need to do all the things in your own strength. It's so easy to invite Jesus into your heart. I did it when I was five years old on an itchy gray rocking chair. It was the best decision that I ever made. I just want to give an opportunity for that today. The, it's, it's so easy. We just do this. We admit that we're a sinner in need of a savior. We believe in our heart that Jesus is the son of God, that he rose from the dead. And we confess with our mouth that he's the Lord of our lives. So I just want to invite everybody, just, just close your eyes just quickly. If that's you today and you want to take a chance to respond to that, to respond to Jesus today, would you just slip up your hand? We just want to pray for you. Yeah. Awesome. We're just going to pray together. God, we just, I admit that I'm a sinner, that I need you to be my savior. Can we pray that together? Ready? God, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I believe in my heart that Jesus is the son of God and that he rose from the dead. And Jesus, I confess that you are the Lord of my life. Isn't that so good? Don't, you don't have to repeat that part. That was just, I was going back into my, into my notes. Yeah. <laughs> um, isn't that so good? 
God is so good. He just invites us into his story. I'm so thankful that God is writing our story. He's our creator. And if you prayed that prayer for the first time today, I saw some hands that were up. I just want to either come and talk to me, talk to somebody that has a lanyard, or talk to somebody at the Welcome Center. And we'd love to get you connected to the church. Be part, you're part of the family now. You don't have a choice. I mean, you do. That's, sorry, I shouldn't say that. This is, goes on recording. But uh, we want you to be part of the family, be involved. And... Um, you stop. Okay, I'm so thankful God's writing our story. He knows me better than I know myself. He made me. He made you. So even when I mess up and I let fear or insecurity or stress in, when I fall back into trying to prove myself, he's so gracious with me and he doesn't give up on me. The Bible calls him the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. See, like this is my story, but it's not over yet. God's writing a story in us and he's faithful to complete it. Philippians tells us that he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. And the passion says, I pray with great faith for you because I'm fi- fi- fully convinced that the one who began this glorious work in you will faithfully continue the process of maturing you. Isn't that good? Doesn't maturing hurt sometimes? Uh, And he will put his finishing touches to it until the unveiling of our Lord Jesus Christ. Joyce Meyer says this. She says, I'm not where I need to be, but thank God I'm not where I used to be. How many can testify with that one today? Surrender is not a one-time event. I think we continually lay down the pieces and the areas of our lives to him. So I'm going to bring up a scripture from Samuel chapter 2, verses 22 Uh, 21 to 25. It says, God made my life complete when I placed all of the pieces before him. When I cleaned up my act, he gave me a fresh start. Indeed, I've kept alert to God's ways. I haven't taken him for granted. Every day I review the way he works. I try not to miss a trick. I feel put back together and I'm watching my step. God rewrote the text of my life when I opened the book of my heart to his eyes. Isn't that beautiful? When I read that in the message, I'm like, I feel like I've never read those words before. God rewrote the text of my life when I opened the book of my heart to his eyes. You see, he's writing my story, and he's writing your story, and your story is not over yet. He is the beginning and he is the end. So no matter what you walked in with today, he is the author and the finisher of your faith. He is the author and the finisher of your faith. And like I used to be freaking out about what's next for us or next for me. And I'm actually okay with just living in today. It's amazing. Like, I'm not not dreaming. Like, I've got some ideas. But there was a season in the last few years where I actually had to lay all of the things down. All of them. And uh, just a small follow-up. Last spring, Praxis and I were able to lead an RCA team to Costa Rica. And we reconnected with the missionaries that we had originally connected with. And uh, that was really fun. We're planning to go back again uh, this next year, God willing, with a small team and do some things there. I mean, that's just like a small trip. But I mean, like for life in general, I don't know what's next for us. And that's okay, which is a weird place for me to be because I don't think I've ever been here before. Like I'm always seeing where we need to go, what we need to do, and what I need to push to get us there. Like I've never been content with today. Like today isn't perfect, but it's good because God's good and he's writing my story. My identity flows not from what I do, but who I belong to. 
And today, is, as we begin to close, I believe that uh, today is an invitation, as every day is, to reset. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all else will be added to you. To reset your identity into the hands of the creator that made you. I just want to invite everybody to stand, if that's okay. We're going to ask God some questions. This is a little bit interactive. Um, because I just believe, we believe that God speaks. And I think it's, it's one thing for me to, to call out some things, but it's another for you to ask the Lord yourself. And we just believe God is a God who speaks. He has personal relationship with us. And maybe you've never heard God's voice before. I believe that today you'll hear God's voice as you begin to pursue him in that way. So here's what we're going to ask God today. Everybody just close your eyes, not because not they're spiritual, just like because I get distracted by the things that are going on around me. So everybody just close your eyes. I just want you to, to picture Jesus. And just ask him, Jesus, is there something that I've been carrying that I need to lay down at your feet? Maybe a financial situation, a housing situation, a job situation, a person, a relationship. Is there something that I've been carrying the weight of that I need to lay down at your feet? I want you to just take a moment and picture yourself at the feet of Jesus laying that thing down. I just believe he's actually lifting the weight of the pressure of those things that you've been carrying as you surrender it to the feet of the one who will always take you exactly where you need to be. And the things that you tried to do in your own strength, that he's becoming strength to you and that he's actually going to take you further than you would have been able to get on your own, which sounds obvious and yet we don't always walk in it. I just believe he's becoming strength He's becoming strength to many right now as you just surrender those things at his feet. He's lifting the weightiness that you've carried because you've been carrying the load wrong. He's so good. He says you can cast all of your cares on him because he cares for you. It's out of his care for you. He says, I don't want you to carry this heavy burden anymore. Would you lay it at my feet? And there's some of you who are still holding on to the thing. You don't want to let it go because you think that you're the one who knows how this story needs to end. And yet he's the author. He's the author and he is the finisher. He knows better than us. There's so many times where I thought I knew better than him. And the times when the best things came into my life is when I said, God, I just say yes to you, what you're doing. I don't understand this situation. I don't know what's happening in this situation, but God, I surrender it to you. And I say yes to you. Your yes to him is so important. 
not just your yes, like, yes, I'm gonna follow you, but your yes in the midst of the hard things, your yes in the midst of the pain, your yes in the midst of the situation that doesn't make sense. There was a song that I came across in the time when I was processing all these things, and it just said, I will praise you with my yes and with my obedience. I will praise you with my yes, Jesus. Surrender is not always easy, but it's the only thing that's going to lift the burden. It's the only thing that's going to lift that weightiness. Just begin to say yes to him in your spirit. Just let out that yes. God, yes, I follow you. God, I don't see the path, but I follow you. I don't see where this is going. I don't understand why this is happening or why so-and-so didn't do what they were supposed to or why this person treated me like this when they shouldn't have. And I'm not downplaying those situations. But our yes in the middle of our disappointment is the most freeing thing that we can say because he's holding you in his arms. And I, I, I wrestle better than I rest, I know. But the Lord's wanting to lift that burden from you today. God, I pray there just be a release in their hearts, a release in their spirit of the things that are just hard to let go of. God, I pray there just be a release. Right now, we just declare a release of the things that there, there's some things that are still trying to like stick, still trying to stay there. We just release them. Even just open your hands as a symbol of your posture. Like, God, I give this one to you, even though it's hard. Sometimes you gotta like hold your hand open because it wants to close. You're like, no, I, I give this one to you. And there might be a day, maybe tomorrow or the next day where that thing tries to come back and you'll have to surrender it again. And there won't be a nice band up here there won't be nice mood lighting but you're gonna have to be in your room where you just begin to say yes out loud in your room you're gonna have to put on some worship music for yourself and begin to just choose a position and a posture that says yes to him and no to what I thought it was supposed to be we release our yes to you today God in our in our act of surrender we release our yes to you we thank you that you care for us lay it at his feet it's, it's a choice and it's not always easy and I felt like as I was getting ready that there's some people who just needed a reminder of the love and the acceptance of the father based on their sonship based on your DNA the love and the acceptance of the father that they belong to him that their identity needs to flow from who they belong to that you need to hear the words of the Father saying, this is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter, in whom, listen to these words, in whom I am well pleased. When, when the Father spoke those words over Jesus, he hadn't done anything yet. He doesn't love you based on what you do. He listen to my words, please. He doesn't love you based on what you do. He loves you based on who you are and you are his. He says, I love you because you're mine. He has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. He created you. He dreamed you up and he created you to be specific with your personality, with your giftings, with your character. Like he made you. And sometimes we take that and we compare it to what we see in other places and we begin to say, hey, I'm not, I'm not measuring up because we're not looking in the right places for, the, for our sense of identity. He's creator. 
he's a creator. And I felt in my spirit that, that God actually wanted to brand us with, with our identity. Like it was more than just like, a, oh, bless them. Like you're his son, you're his daughter. But like God actually just wants to brand your identity into your heart that you're his son or your daughter. That you would know that you 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 know that you're his. And that from this day forward, you live from a different place. It'd be like you're, you're functioning from a different place. I feel like today, I, and I'm not, I'm not where I need to be, but thank God I'm not where I used to be. I feel like today I'm functioning from a different place than I was maybe five years ago. And I think that's a good thing. And I think that God wants to give that to some of you. So maybe you've been living from a place of striving or trying really hard. And God just wants to place his seal of approval uh, over you. And... Um, can I just pray that if, that if that's you today, you just want God to just place a seal of approval, just, just stretch out your hands. I just want to pray over you right now. God's just going to shift something in you. Father, we just thank you for your sons and your daughters in this house. God, I thank you for the identity that you place in them. And right now, I just believe the Lord is removing lies of the enemy that the enemy has tried to speak over you. He said, you're this or you're that. And just even ask the Holy Spirit, is there a lie that I've been believing that isn't from you? It's just not true. And I believe it's usually when God speaks, it's like the first thing that comes to mind right before we start rationalizing it away just begin asking God is there a lie that I've been believing let's give you a moment is there a lie I've been believing I just God's just ripping off those lies just taking off those lies so that you can see clearly who you are and who he made you to be God, I pray that you would, today you would brand them as sons and as daughters of you. God, that, that that love that you talked about, that the same love that you have for Jesus is the love that you have for us. God, I pray an impartation of that love and that acceptance into their heart. God, I pray that they would function from a different place today.